Be Wealthy and Smart, episode 605. into a world of wealth and financial freedom without budgets, boredom, or bosses on Be Wealthy and Smart. And now, here's your host, Linda P. Jones. Welcome to Be Wealthy and Smart. I'm Linda P. Jones, America's Wealth Mentor, empowering women and men worldwide to financial freedom. On today's show, we're going to talk about investing in stocks because I get a lot of questions about this. There's some confusion out there. I really want to clear up some of my thoughts about investing in stocks and some of the past history about investing in stocks and how things have changed a little bit. So first of all, I got this question from Gil and he said he bought the audio version of How to Make Money in Stocks and it has great information. I've already taken a listen a second time through to chapters one through eight or so. Need to take notes and... He feels he could have a lot of fun trading one or two individual stocks. He wants to know, what was my approach as I was learning from the book? Did I ever feel overwhelmed and confused? What gave me some peace of mind and allowed me to just push through? Okay, Gilbert, (laughs) good questions. And I get this quite often where people buy the book that I recommend, How to Make Money in Stocks by William J. O'Neill, because it was the book that really changed things for me. However, people tell me all the time that it's confusing. It feels like there's so many charts. It's hard for them to get into it. And they're generally having a tough time with it. Well, first of all, I totally understand. And it's not for everyone. There are other ways to learn about how to invest in stocks. But I liked that book. Keep in mind, I had over 10 years of experience in investing and being in the investment industry, being a licensed professional before I even picked up that book. So my base of knowledge was pretty extensive working in the field and working with professionally managed investments in particular. So I had that base of knowledge and that's something I think people don't appreciate is To be someone who has no experience in investing and to pick up that book would be completely overwhelming. I really think you need to have some experience under your belt, some understanding of investing, and definitely some management of emotions that go along with investing because, as I talk about, that can be the most difficult part of investing is managing your emotions, not panicking when there are market declines, and really understanding the nature of markets. When I made my first $2 million investing, it was a different time. It was a complete bubble. It was the craziest time I've ever seen in investing and probably will never see a time like that again in the stock market. I think it's more analogous to maybe a 1929 situation than anything else we've ever seen. Meaning that in 1929, we all heard about the Roaring Twenties and how the stock market just was going up and up and up. And everybody, including the shoeshine boy, was investing in the stock market and recommending stocks to everybody else. 
and that definitely meant everybody who could invest in the market was invested in the market and it was a complete bubble. Same thing in the late 90s to early 2000s. It was a complete bubble, unlike we'd ever seen in history before. It was a time where stocks were jumping $5, $10, $20 a day, where venture capitalists were giving money so freely that anybody with an idea, it seemed, could go public, whether they had made money or not, whether they just had a concept and didn't really even have a business. They were being funded. They were going public. Things were so crazy, it was completely out of control. And they were literally saying you just needed eyeballs or people coming to your website in order to go public. It was a very crazy time. So understand, this was not a normal period in history. And we also had a complete new revolution happening. We had the internet coming on board. We had search engine companies coming out. We had had Microsoft, one of the most successful software companies of all time that had come out and a lot of companies launched from that platform of the success of technology, new innovation, the internet, and just all of the things that the internet was creating. People really didn't understand what the internet was all about because they hadn't experienced it yet. Even Bill Gates himself didn't understand what the internet was. As he freely admits, he said, it's the information superhighway. Well, what the heck did that mean? And he even admits that he missed investing in a lot of companies because he didn't see the importance of the internet. So was I a brilliant soothsayer seeing what everyone else didn't see? Absolutely not. All I could see was there was tremendous momentum in these companies and I could understand a new paradigm. And the new paradigm to me was companies, businesses that didn't have to have brick and mortar, that didn't have to have the expense of buying the building, having massive employees, and all of that expense on their balance sheet. And they could become very much more profitable because they didn't have to pay for all of that. So I understood that part of the equation and I invested in companies like Google like America Online, which was an incredible stock until it was gobbled up by Time Warner right at the peak. But prior to that time had tremendous, tremendous stock performance. Investing in Amazon early on. These were companies that I thought could take leadership positions, could grow to be much larger companies and be extremely profitable. It said that a rising tide lifts all boats, and that's what was happening. That rising tide of the stock market lifted everything in the technology sector. Now, having said that, a lot of other sectors in the stock market really suffered, and some of the traditional money managers who used their traditional methods of measuring what makes a stock overvalued, why not to pay up too much for a stock, those were completely thrown out of the window temporarily and some very successful money managers actually had a lot of failure during that time. One example is a professional investor named Julian Robertson, who you may never have heard of, but he is one of the founding fathers of the whole hedge fund industry for high net worth investors. He had averaged 31.7% after fees for 20 years, handily outperforming the S&P 500, which 
during that time from 1980 to 2000 averaged 12.7% per year. But in 1999 and in 2000, his hedge fund was down 26% in both of those years. And he finally had to throw in the towel and quit. And a lot of traditional money managers had very difficult times because if you weren't all in on the technology sector, you just weren't going to outperform the S&P. You weren't going to make the incredible gains that other people were making. And as a small investor, that was something I could do. I could put aside being diversified for a period of time. Now, do I recommend that for people? Absolutely not. It's very high risk. It was being all in in one sector, but that is what got me to the incredible heights of compounding that I got during that bubble and during that period of time. In the first quarter of 2000, the bubble popped and there was a reassessment of these incredible valuations. I think that Y2K played a role in that and you can listen to my theories about that in previous podcasts, but I think a lot of companies were buying technology, were buying software to prepare for the millennium rolling over and what they called Y2K, being compliant with all of their computer systems, with their technology to make sure that their computers didn't revert back to 1900. And that was a real fear and a real panic that people had. So I think that drove a lot of the technology spending until 2000. When we got to the first quarter of 2000, all of that spending stopped and profitability stopped in technology. Many of those tech companies that had just eyeballs and no profits, those which I didn't invest in, thank goodness, dodged that bullet. But Pets.com, for example, and others that just had a concept to move business online, but really hadn't made a lot of money from that, hadn't really created a new industry or created new technologies, those things fell by the wayside. And the real leaders, the Amazons, Googles, many of those companies, as we know, continued to do well and continued to move forward with their growth. So what I'm saying is that was a very special time in history. It was a very unique time in history where the tables turned on traditional investment methods. And a lot of money moved into one sector, the technology sector, which received an overabundance of funds and had to, over time, work its way out so that money was redistributed again to other investments that had viable opportunities. From that time, a lot of money found its way into real estate and set up the next big real estate bubble where a rising tide lifted all those boats and it was hard to lose money in real estate until 2007 and eight when the market crashed. So understanding how bubbles work, how to take advantage of them when they're happening, and also understanding that they do have a finite end. They don't go on forever. We went back to more of a traditional time for security analysis and looking at how to invest. And that's why for people today, I think the best method is to focus on asset allocation. And if you wanna take one to 15 or 20% maybe of your portfolio and invest in some specialty sectors that are fast growing, I think that is where the opportunity is. And that's why that's what I recommend for our VIP experience members. 
we're doing traditional asset allocation with sector investing so that you have some fast growing sectors we're using ETFs as a proxy to invest in portfolios of those sectors to have diversification, to reduce risk, but to also participate in higher growth areas. So that's why I recommend that on the podcast. That's why I recommend that in the VIP experience. I think that is the model in terms of successful investing. When you buy a stock from someone on television or someone who's a friend, and you don't really understand all the reasons behind why you're buying that, you're investing in a company. And if you don't understand their numbers, their trends, their growth rates, a lot of different metrics, what Investors Business Daily calls can slim, is their acronym for knowing all of these different things that you need to know before you buy a company, I think you open yourself up to a lot of risk. If you don't understand why you're buying that company, would you just go out and invest in a company without even looking at anything financial from that company? If you were an individual investor buying into an individual company, I don't think you would. So why do you do it when you hear someone mention a stock tip on TV? Have they done their due diligence? I don't know. But what I do know is Investors Business Daily, in my opinion, does a lot of that research for you. They do a lot of the work. And my job isn't to sit here and pitch IBD because I'm not their spokesperson. I don't get paid for that. All I'm saying is if you want to start understanding the numbers behind things, the charts behind things, IBD does a really good job of accumulating a lot of that information for you. Now, from there, you have to understand what you're looking at, and that's where it can get complicated and people get really lost. But if I were to sit here and tell you, buy this stock, buy that stock, I think I'd be doing you a disservice because give a man a fish, you feed him for a day, teach him how to fish, you feed him for a lifetime is an old saying. And I believe that to be true. Rather than recommending this or that stock, I'd rather teach you how to fish, teach you how to invest. As I mentioned, I really like ETFs because with an ETF, you're buying into a whole portfolio. I think today, rather than try and find the next Google or Microsoft, the thing to do is to look at sectors and identify what sectors are going to be fast growers. I've been very good at that in the last Three years, we have the number one sector, which happened to be a gold mining ETF. We were invested in that for the last three years, and we had the number one performing ETF in our portfolio. And that can be a very important diversifier in your portfolio too. For example, in the fourth quarter of 2018, when the S&P 500 went down 13.5%, our number one and number two performing ETFs were up 14.5%. That's a 27-point swing, 27 percentage points difference in performance by having something like this in your portfolio. So I've been wanting to find those best sectors for you and help you add those to your portfolio to help diversify your portfolio, to help reduce risk, to help your performance, and to help you have the next winners. I can't always predict the next winners, but I do my best to try and help you find those next winners. 
So if you want to try and find some great individual stocks, go ahead, put the time in, study IBD, get their newspaper, read the book, do the research, try and do this all yourself. You're welcome to do that. Or for people who want a little bit of help, for people who want to understand where are the sectors to invest in, where are these fast growers that can diversify your portfolio and offset losses in traditional asset allocation, that's when you may want to come into the VIP experience and learn more about it. And if you want to know more, all you need to do is fill out the application in the show notes, answer a few quick questions, we'll set up a mutually convenient time to talk and see if it's a good fit for both of us. Don't forget, we still have our summer sizzle contest going on. Five people will win wealth mentoring sessions with me. 10 people will win the Wealth Heiress book, which was named to the list of all-time best wealth books by bookauthority.org. And 10 people will win my Wealthy Mindset Blueprint audio sets valued at $197. All you need to do is leave a podcast review on iTunes, or if you have an Android, leave it on Stitcher, S-T-I-T-C-H-E-R.com. That will get your name in the drawing one time. And if you've read the Wealth Heiress book, leave a review for the book on Amazon. That will get your name in the drawing two times. Winners will be announced on the August 30th podcast. All of my podcasts are available on my website at lindapjones.com forward slash podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-T-S. There's over 600 there and a search box in the upper right-hand corner where you can search any topic you want. That's all for today. Until next time, live the good life and be wealthy and smart. Thank you for listening to Be Wealthy and Smart with Linda P. Jones. Share the wealth and tell your family and friends about the show. Check out our website, blog, and social media for more riches at www.bewealthyandsmart.com.